Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And welcome to our weekly open-air outreach that we're having on Buchanan Street in the city centre of Glasgow in Scotland. And welcome to our, our live Welsh live stream. We're a small a local congregation. We're based in the Partick area of Glasgow, and we meet at Chew Thornwood Terrace. And we would give you a warm welcome to come along to any of our services. We meet on the Lord's Day, that's the first day of the week, Sunday, at 11 a.m. And we also have a, an early evening meeting at 6 p.m., also on the Lord's Day, Sunday. And we also have a midweek meeting where we meet on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And we do extend a, a warm welcome to you that you might come along and you might hear something more about historic and genuine Christianity. There are one or two of us out on the street here this afternoon and some are handing out uh, gospel tracts. We would be very grateful if you would receive a tract. You maybe can't read it at the moment, but please uh, take it home with you and read it. It has our contact details on it. And if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. As we said, we're a, a local congregation. We meet at uh, Two Thornwood Terrace. That's beside Thornwood Primary School. And do feel that you have been warmly invited to come along to hear something more about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very sum and substance of Christianity. And indeed, there is no Christianity without the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that we tend to do whenever we have opportunity. Once a week, weather permitting, we come out. And uh, you may well wonder, why do we come out? Because you will probably say to me, well, I don't normally see a minister of religion out on the street preaching. It's not something that I see every day. Well, it wasn't that long ago that Glasgow was famous for uh, open-air preaching. And we come out because we believe it's part of the commission that the great head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given to his disciples. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that was the great commission that he gave to the early apostles and disciples before he departed into heaven. And they tried to fulfill it as best as they could. But that commission has passed on to those who follow in the footsteps of the apostles and the early disciples. And therefore, for our part, we take, we take part in this great commission to make the deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ known. And this is what the gospel is all about. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done. And we have this time and this privilege and this opportunity to 
tell you about him and about his work before that great and awesome day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall return. This is a gospel fact, friends. We know that many people will laugh and despise the thought that Jesus Christ will return. Well, the Bible even predicts that in the last days there shall be scoffers, and they will say, where is his coming? And you'll find these words that I'm uh, alluding to in Second Peter chapter 3, scoffers who say, where is his coming? Well, friends, we don't know when he will return, but we do know that he will return. And in between his ascension, when he was taken into heaven, in full view of his apostles, and to that time when he shall return in power and in glory, that is the time when the gospel is to be proclaimed. And that's why we come out that we might even for a few moments address you with some gospel truths and facts. Because the day will come when the day of grace will come to an end and the gospel shall no more be proclaimed. That day will come when Jesus returns in power and in glory and that day shall bring in the, the great judgment day and the eternal state shall begin on that day. But here, friends, we have the day of grace, when the gospel is to be proclaimed. And we do this because, well, we have to recognize and acknowledge that most people today will not be found in the house of God. Most people today do not go to a place of worship. For one reason or another, they will not be found in a place where God's Word is read and where the Gospel is proclaimed. And therefore, to put it very, very clearly and simply, you don't come to us, so therefore we will come to you. Because this message that we bring is absolutely, vitally important. This is a message that none of us can dare dismiss. We have to respond. And how can we respond if we don't even know what the message is all about? So what is Christianity? Can we sum it up? Well, it's quite difficult to sum it up in one or two words. But as we said in our introduction, Christianity is bound up around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Now then, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he is the Son of God. And when we say that he is the Son of God, we are to recognize that he is fully God. He is the second person in the Trinity. In Christian theology, we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And what we know about the Son of God is there was a point in time when He became the Son of Man. That is, He took upon Himself our form and our nature. 
He became just like us, sin only accepted. And He came to this world as part of a, a rescue mission. He Himself has said in the Word of God that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's His verdict upon mankind. It's not His verdict upon certain individuals. It is His verdict upon every one of us. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And maybe then you're asking me, why are we described as being lost in the Bible? Well, we are lost because we don't have that relationship with God that we should have. If we go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, the beginning, beginning of time, to the beginning of humankind, we find there that God made Adam and Eve. And they were perfect. Adam was created from the dust. And God breathed into him the spirit of life. He became a living soul. And then afterwards, for Adam, he made Eve. Eve was created from Adam. And there we have the first couple, the first man and the first woman. And they are our first parents. We have all come from Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve did something foolish. They listened to the evil tempter, to God's enemy. And Eve was tempted to eat the forbidden fruit. In other words, Eve was tempted to do something that God had forbidden. And she succumbed to that temptation. And so did Adam. And from that moment, their relationship with God changed. Before they had a wonderful relationship. God was their creator. And they enjoyed fellowship and communion with God. But the moment that they disobeyed God, something happened. Sin entered into man's experience. And because of sin, man became spiritually dead. What does that mean? Well, it means... No longer had he got the life of God in him. No longer had he got a relationship with God in him. That relationship was broken. The relationship that Adam and Eve once knew and enjoyed was immediately broken when they sinned, when they disobeyed God. Why did this break? Why was the relationship severed? The relationship was severed because God is a holy God an absolutely pure and holy God. And mankind, Adam and Eve, by their sin, they became unholy. And therefore God could have no real relationship with them until something was done to restore that relationship. And this is where the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. He took upon our, Himself our former nature. He became like us. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed God fully, completely, in thought, in word, 
and indeed. And then, having lived a perfect life, he was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that would satisfy the just demands of God's holy and most inflexible law. You see, when we break God's law, the penalty is quite clear. It is death. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. You may eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat that fruit, you shall die. And that's what happened. And the Bible goes on to tell us more clearly, the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus had to die, because he was paying the penalty, not for his sin, because he knew no sin, and he could not sin. But he stood there as our substitute. And he was dying as our substitute, paying the price for that law that we have all broken, the law of God, the law that demands the death of those who break his law. And that's why Jesus, therefore, suffered and died. He gave up a perfect sacrifice, and he paid the penalty for, breaking, for man breaking the law of God. And here, friends, to you this afternoon is the heart of the gospel. What does it tell us? It tells us if we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins shall be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid them, paid the price of them by his life and by his death. And we know that his sacrifice, his work was accepted. How do we know that, you may say? Well, we know that because he was taken down from the cross on the Friday afternoon. He was pronounced dead and taken down from the cross. And then he was put into a borrowed tomb. And there that tomb was sealed on the Friday. And there Jesus was in the tomb the Friday night and the Saturday. But on the third day, the first day of the week, Sunday, he arose. And he arose because his work was accepted. Do you think God would raise to life an imposter? Nonsense. Of course not. The very fact that he arose vindicated all his claims and his ministry and his work. And therefore, that's why we're able to come out this afternoon and to tell men and women, doesn't matter how old we are or young, it doesn't matter our nationality, doesn't matter about our sex, it doesn't matter about how well educated we are, it doesn't matter how financially well off we are or how poor we are. We come out this afternoon to tell you that there's a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Savior is able to save us from all of our sins. And maybe the first problem we have to encounter and to get over is to realize, friends, that all of us, in the sight of God, are sinners. Oh, and we know the, go the gospel will not flatter us. It will not pat us in the back. It will not tell us we're good. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, will tell us things that we might not like to hear and to acknowledge. What are these things? Well, basically, the Bible tells us 
and you can look it up for yourself, you'll find it in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a well-known verse where the Apostle Paul is outlining the gospel that he preaches. What does he say in that verse, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference. It doesn't matter about our lifestyle. It doesn't matter where we come from. The Bible says, as far as God is concerned, there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this is something that we have to take on board. We have to humbly accept God's verdict upon your life and upon my life. And as he looks at your life, and as he looks at my life, this is his verdict. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we can be model citizens. We can be upright. We can be morally perfect outwardly. The law of the land will have nothing to say to us. But God's law finds something wrong in us. What is it? It is a fact that we are sinners. Now, why are we sinners? We are sinners, friends, because we're born sinners. We are shapen in iniquity, the Bible tells us. And this is all because we've all come from Adam and Eve. And they were created perfect, but, as we said earlier, they fell. And when they fell, we fell, because we inherited their sinful nature. And therefore, all of us, by ordinary generation, and I don't need to elaborate upon that, but all of us from ordinary generation are sinners by nature. And because we're sinners by nature, then it is obvious that we will be sinners in practice. That's why we have so much trouble in this world. That's why there are divorces. That's why there is domestic abuse. That's why our courts are full and overflowing, and there's a tremendous backlog of cases. That's why our prisons are full. That's why we have a police service. That's why we have an army. That's why we have hospitals full. That's why we have all kinds of suffering in this world. That's why we have death. It's all because of sin. And therefore, we would tell you, friends, that this matter of sin is no light matter. It's not something that you can simply dispense with. You cannot say to yourself that, well, because it affects everyone, from the highest to the lowest, from the youngest to the oldest, therefore it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters in the sight of God. And therefore, something has to be done about it. And you know, one of the lessons we have to learn when we consider the gospel and the claims of the Lord Jesus it is that we cannot deal with this problem ourselves. We have a problem. Mankind has a problem. That problem is sin. It's your personal sin and my personal sin. But although it's personal, it's powerful. It's so powerful that we cannot deal with it ourselves. You will well know, I'm sure, that in the day that we live in, there are literally thousands of religions. 
And you might say, well, there's no difference between one religion and another religion. Well, every religion, note this, friend, every religion apart from Christianity is man trying to rectify the problem of sin. Every other religion, it doesn't matter their name, it doesn't matter what they teach, ultimately they are trying by the efforts of man to sort this problem of sin. And they are trying to reconcile themselves to God by their own efforts. Christianity is unique. It is absolutely unique in this respect. Why? Because Christianity is what God has done on behalf of mankind. This is what makes Christianity unique. Our Savior, the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, what about Him? He came down from heaven. No other religious person ever came down from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ alone is unique as far as this is concerned. He has come down from heaven. He knows the eternal world. He is no stranger to it. He has been there for all eternity. And He came down from heaven. And this is what marks out Christianity. One of the unique things about it, it is a record of the actions of God on behalf of man to address our greatest need and our greatest problem, that of our sin. And therefore, the very fact that the Son of God had to come and deal with this problem, surely that must tell us that this problem is great indeed. He didn't send an angel or an archangel. He sent His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, He sent the Son of God and the Son of God willingly came in order to address our greatest need. And as I have been trying to articulate to you, our greatest need is to have our sins dealt with. And this is what Jesus did. How could He possibly deal with it? Well, He dealt with it like this. He lived a perfect life. None of us have ever lived a perfect life. None of us can. It's impossible. God has given to us a law. And yes, we are required to keep that law, but because of our sin, because we are sinners by nature, we cannot keep God's law. But Jesus did. He kept it perfectly. He never had a wrong thought. Why don't you examine your thoughts, even as you pass by here? Your thoughts are not clean in the sight of God. God finds faults with your, with your thoughts. You see, God demands truth in the inward parts. It's not just our outward life that God looks upon. It is our very thoughts. And also our speech. How many people this afternoon will pass by 
hear or go down the street and they shall blaspheme. Do you know what the third commandment says? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. And do we not hear this continually? People taking the Lord's name in vain. We hear it on the radio. We hear it on the television and social media. We even hear it in the playgroup. Young children taking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord God Almighty in vain. Well, the Lord takes notice of these things. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he never spoke a wrong word. He never had to apologize for what he said. He never had to take back his words. He's the only individual who used his tongue as it should be, never sinning with his tongue. And of course, all his actions, they were perfect. The Bible makes it clear that he was one who went about doing good. In other words, the Lord Jesus lived a perfect life. And because he lived a perfect life, he was then able to offer up a perfect sacrifice because the wages of sin is death. And if Christ was going to save us, he had to die in our room and in our place because that's what our sin deserves. It deserves the punishment of death. But in order for Jesus to save us, he had to live a perfect life, offer up a perfect sacrifice, to pay the penalty for the law of God which was broken by his people. And friends, it is a wonder, it is a joy, it is a privilege this afternoon to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ was indeed successful in his mission. And we know he was successful. How do we know he was successful? You might well say to me, did he not suffer? Did he not die? How could he possibly succeed if he died? Well, he did die. And he was put in a grave or a tomb. And that tomb was sealed. But you know what? The third day, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day we call it, what happened? Jesus arose. Now, ask yourself this question. If Jesus was an imposter, would God raise him from the dead? Nonsense. Of course he would not. He would let him rot and decompose in the grave if he was an imposter. But he was not an imposter. He, was, he is the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who has come down from heaven in order to save a people and to take them back to heaven. And the very fact that God rose him from the grave again demonstrates to you and to me that the work and the person of Christ was accepted. And therefore, friends, we have a, a gospel to proclaim. We have a gospel to proclaim to sinners 
and we tell you in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the name of God, God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is part of the gospel proclamation. We certainly tell you about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, but there is an application. There's something that you must do. It's all very well hearing about Jesus, but you must come and embrace him. You must hear the gospel call. And what is the gospel call? The gospel call is to repent and believe the gospel. Now, here we have another old-fashioned word. An old-fashioned word that you might not even hear if you go to a place of worship this, on the Lord's Day. How often do you hear the minister telling you to repent? But that's what the Bible teaches us, friends. We are to repent. Now, what does repentance mean? Well, repent means to turn away from our sins. We are to stop sinning. We are to take active measures to stop sinning. What is sin, you might ask me? Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. It is not keeping God's law. It is breaking God's law. And God has given us a law. And he has a right to give us a law. Why has he got a right? He has a right because he is our creator. And he wants us to live in a certain way. And he has given us laws and commandments that we are to obey. But because of sin, we cannot obey them. That does not mean we're excused. No, far from it. And that's why we have to repent. Repent of all our sins. What are your sins? Well, I put it to you in a general sense. The first sin that you have committed is the sin of idolatry. Now, you may well laugh at that. I don't worship an idol. I don't bow down before an image. I don't have a shrine in my house. I'm a very blessed person. Well, idolatry is more than simply that. That kind of idolatry is quite primitive. But we are more likely to break the law by more civilized forms of idolatry. Idolatry, or to be an idolater, is to think about something else more than the living God. It is to put something else first in your life other than the living God. You know, the Lord Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments. Someone asked him, what is, what is the greatest commandment? Well, or how do you sum up the commandments? And this is how he said, how he summed it up. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And in that short summary, the Lord Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments. And first of all, then, we are to love the Lord our God. 
I put it to you this afternoon that this is something you don't do. You love other things. You love yourself. You love your spouse or your partner. You love your children or your grandchildren. Maybe you love your money and your possessions. Maybe you love your occupation. Maybe you love your entertainment. Maybe you're looking forward to the Friday and the Saturday night when you can indulge yourself. Or maybe your God is sport. Maybe you're a football fan and you think more of your team than you do of anything else. You can see, friends, to be an idolater is really to put something else or other things in the place that the Lord our God should occupy in our hearts and in our lives. And when we examine it that, then we realize that truly we have broken the first commandment because we don't love the Lord our God. We don't think about Him. We don't serve Him. I put it to you this afternoon that you got up today. You had a sleep. You never thank God for the sleep. You had your breakfast. You never thank God for your breakfast. Here you are. You're breathing His air. You're drinking His water. You never give thanks for these things. You never give thanks for life itself. You never give thanks for all the things that you enjoy in this world. You have a wife. You have a husband. You have children, grandchildren, a home. You have food. You have clothing. You have employment. You have possessions. You have everything that this world can give to a certain extent. And you never acknowledge God. You never give Him thanks for all that He has given to you. That's a breach of the first commandment. The Bible goes on to tell us in James chapter 2 that if we break one of the commandments, we've broken them all. Therefore, as far as the Bible is concerned, we are lawbreakers. We are covenant breakers. And we have disobeyed God. And we deserve His wrath. And we deserve His curse. And that's why he tells us in the gospel to repent, to turn away from our sins. We could name some of these commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How many people value the Lord's day today? How many people give Sunday to the Lord? How many people are simply out in their gardens or shopping or out socializing? or working, or whatever. And they never think about the Lord, their God at all, who, has, who tells us to keep one day in seven for Him. We don't. Therefore, we're robbing God. Therefore, we're thieves. And that's a breach of one of the commandments. Is it not the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. And many of us steal from God Himself. What is the fifth commandment? Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. How many of us honor our parents? And of course that commandment speaks not just of our parents, but it speaks of those who have authority over us. How many, for instance, children honor their teachers? How many people honor and respect the policeman today. That commandment covers these applications. How many of us respect 
our politicians today. Oh, we know many of our politicians are not what we would like them to be. But nevertheless, they have been appointed by God. And it's all covered under that commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, those that have authority over us. No, 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 that's not a very nice thing to say to someone you don't even know, sir. I put it to you, though, what I'm saying to you is open to examination. Put it to you, what I'm saying is reasonable. You'll find it in the Word of God. It's perfectly reasonable. There's no need to go on and speak like that in public. Terrible. That's a hate crime. Do you not know that, sir? We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. I'm glad you're able to join us on our open-air uh, outreach in Buchanan Street in the city centre of Glasgow in Scotland. And welcome to our, our live stream. We're very glad to be here. It's a pleasure and a privilege. We try to come out once a week. Not always here, but we try to come out other places also. And we come out with uh, the Christian gospel. And uh, we do so because we realize that many people today are rejecting the Word of God and the gospel. And very often they are rejecting it without any examination. And usually they're relying upon the opinions of other people. Now that's not a very sensible approach to take because what we're dealing with is the most important issue that you can possibly address. Where are you going to spend eternity? Yes, it's a solemn thought on Friday afternoon when many of you maybe are looking forward to a night out. But where will you spend eternity? You cannot avoid this question. All of us are mortal. We pass on because of sin. That's the reason there would be no death if there was no sin. Evolution cannot explain this, but we can because the Bible tells us we die because of sin. But where are you going to go when you pass into eternity? When your time is up, you were brought into this world and you had no say in it. You were completely passive. And so it is when you shall pass out of this world. God has decreed your birth and he has decreed your death. And one day, however long or however short it shall be, that day will come even for young people. And that's why the Bible tells us, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And there King Solomon, who at that time was the wisest man this world ever had, and his, that's his exhortation to the young. 
because he had tasted life, he had tasted everything that this world could give him, he had fame, he had fortune, he had power, he had influence, he had wisdom, everything. And after the end of his life, he would tell the young, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And friends, this is the day of grace. This is when God's grace is being proclaimed to you. And therefore, we want to respectfully ask you, where are you going to go when you pass into eternity? The Bible tells us we will go to one of two places. There's a place called heaven. And there our God is, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There the holy angels are. And there are the people of Christ. All His people will be there. Will you go to heaven when you pass into eternity? It's a very sobering question, but you must consider it. And then there is the other place. And would you know, if you look at your Bibles, you will find that Jesus talks more about hell than he does about heaven. He's the one who has come from heaven. And he's the one who has come to warn us about this place that's called hell. A place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. And the Lord Jesus Christ has come down and he warns us about this place. And you, you may well ask us, why does he warn about this place? He warns because he does not want you to go there. And he has demonstrated that fact by his life and by his death. And through what he has done, he has opened up heaven to everyone. He's opened up heaven to you all. If you will but come and believe upon the Lord. I beg your pardon, dear? Uh, sorry, I can't hear you. I can't, I can't engage, so I can't hear you. But no, as I was saying, the Lord Jesus Christ has come and he has provided a way whereby we might be saved. And that way is through believing upon him. It is calling upon his name. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that not glorious? Is that not something worth taking home with you this afternoon? You see, friends, by nature, we're dead. We're estranged from God. We are his enemies. We're under his wrath and curse. We deserve his punishment. That's what awaits us unless, unless we come and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as he has freely offered to us in the gospel. That's why he says in his word, and the whole of the Bible is the word of the Lord Jesus, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. He says through the prophet Isaiah in 
Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And we are to understand the prophet is not telling people to look unto himself. He's not telling people to look unto the speaker. He is telling people to look unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what it means to, to look upon the Lord Jesus is to be saved. Now obviously he's talking much more than simply a physical look. When he's saying look, he means to trust upon him, to lean upon him, to accept him for what he is, who is the only begotten Son of God, the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And John, in John's Gospel, this is what he says, or this is what he records that Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us a number of things in that verse. He that heareth my word. Well, here we are today on Buchanan Street in the afternoon on Friday the 3rd of February. And in some real way, you're hearing the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good start for us. We need to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he goes on, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. It's not enough to hear. You must hear, but it's not enough to hear. You must go a stage further. And what is the other stage that he mentions here? You must believe on him that sent me. Who sent the Lord Jesus Christ? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Therefore, it was Almighty God the Father that sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And this would tell us, friends, that he comes with the full authority of heaven. He comes indeed as a divine ambassador. Now you know what an ambassador is. An ambassador goes to a foreign country and the ambassador, what does he do? He represents the king or the government. And therefore, when the ambassador speaks, he is speaking as, as if it were the king or as, as if it were the prime minister himself. So it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes with the full authority of heaven. And this is what he says. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You must believe in the living God. You must believe that God sent his son. And you must believe all about his son. 
you must believe that his Son is God in the flesh. This is what makes Christ absolutely unique. He's not just a man. He was a man, of course, but he's not just a man. He is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. And you must believe that. Many people might believe upon the Lord Jesus, but do they believe that he is God in the flesh? That's a different matter. A, a Muslim will believe in Jesus, but he does not believe that he is the Son of God, and he does not believe that he is God in the flesh. Therefore, the Jesus that he believes in is not the authentic Jesus. And you must believe upon the Jesus of the Bible. And that Jesus of the Bible is the Son of God. He is equal with God the Father and equal with God the Holy Spirit. And he has come down from heaven on a rescue mission. And he has completed that mission. And if we are to believe upon the Lord Jesus savingly, what does the verse tell us? Half everlasting life. If you truly believe upon the Lord Jesus, in the biblical Lord Jesus, then, friends, you are one who has eternal life today. It's not something that you get when you pass on into eternity. Oh, then you'll know the full blessings of it. That's true. But the Christian has everlasting or eternal life now. You see, Christianity is all about new life. It's all about new life. You know, friends, the Bible would tell us that we're dead in trespasses and sins. That's what we are by nature. We don't have spiritual life in us. But the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, the pagan Corinthians who became Christians, he tells them, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what Christianity is about, friends. It's about having new life in Christ. You know, every one of us here, we all have physical life. We know it. We can move around. We can speak. We can eat. We can drink. We can think. We all have physical life. But we don't have spiritual life by nature. We've lost it in the fall. And this is what Christ has come to give us. New life. Spiritual life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who is born again by the Spirit of God. He knows a physical resurrection. Oh, please don't shake your head, my dear. I'm telling you the truth here. I'm telling you the truth as it is in Jesus. I'm telling you about things that you need to hear. And I fear that many of you never hear these things. And many of you might be surprised that you see a minister of religion on the street preaching. But friends, 
This is something that used to happen quite regularly in this city at one time. And this must happen more and more because the people round about me here, as far as I can make out, are never in uh, the house of God. They're never at a Christian act of worship. They never hear the word of God read and proclaimed. They never sing to his praise. They never pray to him. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us that we leave our manses and we leave our pulpits and we come out into the highways and the byways. And even for a few moments, we might have the pleasure and the privilege of sowing the good seed of the gospel. And we look for the Lord to follow with his blessing. We began the second section by asking ourselves, where are you going to go when you pass into eternity? We came to the conclusion that we'll go to one of two places. We'll either go to heaven to be with Christ and His church, or we'll go to that terrible place called hell. But you know, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, what's going to happen? Yes, He's going to come, friends, where He's going to come in the clouds one day. And when He comes, what's going to happen? There's going to be the, that general day of judgment when every one of us will stand before King Jesus and will give account. Paul tells the, the Christians in Corinth, and it's remarkable that there was a church in Corinth because Corinth was full of idolatry, and paganism, and immorality, and debauchery, much like modern Britain today. But there the apostle Paul went, and he proclaimed the gospel. He preached him and Christ crucified, and God blessed his efforts, and there was a church formed there in Corinth, in that very seat of immorality and debauchery. And he tells the Christians in Corinth, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Friends, I put it to you that you want criminals to face a just punishment. You are delighted when a criminal is tried and found guilty, and then you hope that a proper sentence will be given to that criminal. And if he's someone who's committed despicable crimes like pedophilia, you want the book thrown at him. You want him to be put away for a long time, maybe forever. You look for judgment in this world. Well, friends, God is going to have a day of judgment in that world that is to come. And on that day, perfect justice will be dispensed. You'll all be there, every one of us. There will be no exceptions. Every human being that has ever lived will one day stand before King Jesus. How this can possibly happen, 
I dare not venture to tell you. But it will happen. You'll come out of your grave. Your body shall be reconstituted. And you will stand before King Jesus in your flesh. And your lives, all the things that you've said, all the things that you've done, even the very thoughts that you've thought shall be exposed on that day. Everything, without exception, what you've done in the dark or what you've done in broad daylight, what you've done in a sly manner or what you've done openly, it'll all be exposed. That's what Paul is telling us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now ask yourself this question. How will you fear that day? Because you'll stand before someone who is absolutely pure and perfect. You'll stand before God in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself. And you'll not be able to argue out of it. Everything you've said, all your thoughts, all your actions shall be laid bare. And if you have not lived a perfect life on that day, you'll be condemned. Now you may well be saying, well, surely we'll all be condemned on that day. No. Here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who have Christ as their Lord and Savior will not be condemned in that day. Why? Because he was condemned in their room and in their place. He was their substitute. Yes, we all deserve his wrath and curse. Yes, we all deserve to be punished. But on that day, those who are in Christ will not receive the punishment that they truly deserve because He has suffered for them in their place. Now then, let me ask you then, can you say that you belong unto the Lord Jesus, that He is your Lord and Savior, that He is your substitute? Well, that's why we come out, friends. We come out to tell you about this good news that we do deserve to be punished, all of us. And the speaker is not accepted in this. We all deserve to be punished. But having a Savior, we will be declared righteous. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, what have we got here? What have we got here? It looks to me like Hare Krishnas, but I could be wrong. Well, Hare Krishnas, whatever they are, they cannot save you. There's only one Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You know, the Lord Jesus, He's the only Savior. 
there's no other Savior can save you. And no matter what religion you might follow, no matter how dedicated you might be to that religion, they cannot save. No, dear, no thank you. No, no, that's, that's blasphemy. That's a terrible thing to say. May the Lord forgive you. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. And we have been discussing and dis discoursing upon the great day of judgment. And we are out, friends, because that day is coming. And knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we seek, we seek to persuade men. We cannot save anyone. Impossible. We cannot even save ourselves. We're pointing you to someone else. Who is that person? We are pointing you to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We give you all a warm welcome to our open-air witness on Buchanan Street in the heart of Glasgow. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we are a, a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, you'll first come to the police station. And opposite the police station, you'll go up the hill there, and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. Well, we're next door to the school at the crossroads, and we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along, whereby you might hear something more of the Christian gospel. We meet on the Lord's Day, that Sunday, at 11 a.m., and then we meet in the early evening at 6 p.m., and we also meet on Wednesday at 7.30. And you would be welcome to attend any of these services. They're all open to the public, and in true Christian tradition, it's all open. It's like Christianity itself. Nothing was done in a corner. We have nothing to hide. The Bible is our manifesto. We seek to proclaim what we find in the Word of God. And we're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done in this world today. We might ask ourselves a question. What's Christianity all about? And I'm quite sure without embarrassing anyone that if I ask someone as they walk by what is Christianity all about, they might not be able to give an accurate answer. They may well be able to give an answer, but would it be an accurate biblical answer? That's another matter altogether. But the Apostle Paul tells us in one verse, he sums up in a very concise manner, what Christianity is all about. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And there in that one verse we have embraced a large part of what Christianity is all about. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptation 
that Christ Jesus came in to the world to save sinners. Now, we've all come into the world, and I don't need to give you a biology lesson to know how we came into the world, but Jesus came in a different way. He was not conceived by ordinary generation. He was conceived by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And therefore, when the Lord Jesus Christ was born in the normal manner, He was born without original sin. He did not have a sinful nature that every one of us has because we've all been ones who have come from Adam and Eve. And therefore, the Lord Jesus came into this world in an extraordinary manner, being conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by an operation of God the Holy Spirit. But he was born in the normal manner. But he came with a mission. And he came indeed to save sinners. And here maybe is where we hit a raw nerve today because the Bible's verdict on the life of all of us is that we are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, we are told. None. No righteous persons. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, every one of us here, walking on the streets, in the shops, in the offices, in the flats, or whatever, whoever can hear, that's God's verdict upon your life. No matter how good it might be, as far as His world is concerned, God sees a problem. What is that problem? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, we've not reached the mark. We haven't reached the standard that God has set. Now, what is that standard, we might ask ourselves? Well, that standard is absolute perfection. That standard demands that we keep the law of God absolutely perfectly, perpetually, without error at any time. Now, if you're thinking at all, then you must surely realize and say to me, well, that's impossible. Well, it is impossible for us. That is true. That's why the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, and as I said earlier, He did not have original sin, and therefore He was able to perfectly keep the law of God. He was able to live a perfect life. He had no wrong thoughts, none whatsoever. He never spoke a wrong word, never had to apologize, never had to retract, never had to backtrack his words. He said, in fact, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. That's what he said. And he could say this because he never spoke a wrong word in all his life. And he never performed a wrong deed. He sinned not at all. He was completely and utterly sinless. And that's why he had to come. To live a perfect life. And to offer up a perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that would satisfy the just demands 
of God's holy and inflexible law. You see, God has given us a law. We have it codified. It's written out for us in the Ten Commandments. But it's also on your hearts. But because of sin, the law in your heart is marred. It's scarred. It's not as clear as it should be. That's why we have it written down for us. We have it, but we've broken it. But the Lord Jesus had it, and he did not break it. He kept it. And he did this so that when the time would come, when he was going to work out a way whereby we could be saved, he offered up himself as a perfect sacrifice. You see, the wages of sin is death. That's what our sin deserves. And that's why Jesus died. Because he was taking our place. He was our divine substitute. He stood in the room and in the place of sinners. Offered up a perfect life, a perfect sacrifice that indeed did satisfy the just demands of God's holy and inflexible law. That law that we're required to keep, yet that law which we have broken. And we break it every day. Every day of our lives we sin. Oh, you might say that's a very, very stern thing to say. Is that true? Is that really true of me? Well, you know, if we're to keep the law of God, Jesus summed it up like this. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now ask yourself, judge yourself, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? If you're honest, you have to acknowledge you've never done this. Never done it at all. Therefore, the Bible is true when it says there is none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. But you know, the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it says. Our lives deserve death. That's the wages we deserve. But the gift, the gift that God gives us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life. Now, how can you get this eternal life? The only way you can get this life is by going to Jesus Christ. Don't go to a minister of the gospel. Don't go to a priest. Don't go to anyone. You must go to Jesus Christ and to Him alone. He alone gives life. He alone can save you. He alone can forgive your sins. He alone can wipe the slate clean. He alone can reconcile you to God. He alone can establish that relationship that the creature should have with his creator God. Only Christ can do it. And we only stand here this afternoon pointing you to him. Yes, we will tell you about our congregation. And yes, we will invite you to come along to our services. But we cannot save you. Our church cannot save you. No one can save you but Jesus Christ. 
And all we want to do is to introduce you to this person. Because in some real way, friends, we have experienced that the Lord is good. As the psalmist says, we have tasted that the Lord is good. And we don't want to keep this to ourselves. We want to pass it on to every one of us. Why? Because this message we all need to hear. It's relevant to us all. As I said earlier, we've all sinned. We're all made in the image of God. We've all sinned. We're all estranged. We're all separated from Him by nature. And we need to be reconciled. And the only way to be reconciled to Him is through believing and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why we come out, friends. That's all we have to say. We want to point you to Him, to that one who who alone can save you. The prophet Ezekiel, he was ministering to God's people who were in captivity in Babylon. And God had sent a prophet to speak the Word of God to them, even when they were in captivity. And this is one of the things that God was telling the prophet to say to his people. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? You can just hear the voice of God in that, speaking directly to His people through the prophet. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, this is a lie from hell. What is it? Very often, God is portrayed as someone who is vindictive, who loves to punish. That is not the case. Yes, God will punish. We're not going to deny that. But He has no pleasure in this. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is what He says to us all this afternoon. He does not take any pleasure in any one of us being lost for eternity. Instead, He wants the wicked to turn from their ways. And friends, as far as God is concerned, we're all wicked by nature. And therefore, He wants all of us to turn away from our sinful and selfish lives and take up the cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking the gospel to these Athenians who were rich and intellectual and who were busy doing nothing all day, he tells them after he's outlined the gospel to them, he says to them, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that commandment is true today as it was some 2,000 years ago. God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is a commandment that God has given to you and I today. 
this afternoon. This is what he says to us in the gospel. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Young men, old men, women, children, every one of us, what are we to do? We're to repent. What does that mean? It means turn from our sins, turn from our selfishness, turn from our idolatry, turn from our fornication, turn from our adultery, turn from our homosexuality, turn from our killing, turn from our stealing, turn from our lying. That's what's required of us. That's what the gospel says. That's what God wants from us. That's what repentance is. There's no easy way. You know, many people think they simply have to believe upon Jesus, but that's only part of the gospel call. We are to believe and we are to repent. We're to believe upon the Lord Jesus, yes. We're to trust upon Him, but we are to repent. We're to turn. We're to turn over a new leaf. Repent and believe the gospel. Look unto me. That's what the prophet says. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. And he's telling us to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. The question therefore for us this afternoon is, do we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we believe upon him? You might well say to me, yes I do believe upon the Lord Jesus. Well, I would caution you. I would caution you by saying the devil believes in Jesus Christ. And of course you know the devil cannot be saved. And therefore what I want to tell you is to believe in Jesus in a biblical sense requires that you trust Him. That you receive Him as Lord and Savior. That you follow Him. That you rely upon Him. Many people might believe the Bible and believe the biblical record and believe in the historical character of Jesus, but something more is required. It is to trust upon Him. It is to recognize that He is the Son of God and that He is the only way to be saved. There is no other, no other way, no other person for salvation is found in none else, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ask yourself this question this afternoon. Are you saved? Are you saved? Will you go to heaven? Have your sins been forgiven? Are you reconciled to God? Do you have the gift of eternal life? Is your hope bound up in Jesus Christ? These are the things that you must ask yourself. 
and you must be able to give a satisfactory answer to. Don't be glib about this. Here we're talking about something that is most important. It is where you will spend eternity. Is it not true that life is short? Even at its longest, life is short. Is it also not true that death is certain? Is it not true that sin is the problem? And this problem is so great that you cannot deal with it? But is it also not true that Christ is the answer? He has dealt with it. And it's God's answer. It's not man's answer. It's not my answer. It's not the answer of the church. It's the answer of God. And this is what Christianity, Christianity is about. It's about what God has done in Christ. It's all a record of how God has in Christ gone about to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a pleasure to be out this afternoon. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. <coughs> We're a local congregation, a Scottish registered charity. We're a small congregation. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road. You'll come to the police station, opposite the police station. Go up that hill there. It's quite steep, I know, but go up that hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door there at the crossroads. Come along on Sunday, the Lord's Day, at 11 or 6.30 p.m. Or 6 p.m., I should say. Or we have a midweek meeting Wednesday at 7. And again, we would extend a warm welcome to you to any of these services. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be here. And may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.